Hi, my name is Noura Abdel Fattah, and I'm your narrator for this episode of Acceptance Matters, a podcast dedicated to talking about various public and mental health issues within the South Brunswick community. Today's episode is about suicide prevention, in honor of September being National Suicide Prevention Month. Our group will be interviewing three guest speakers, including Trisha Baker, the founder of Attitudes in Reverse, as well as Varun and Carly, two SBHS students participating in the Bridge Center. That being said, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, everyone. It's Aaron Millman. I'm the student assistance counselor at the high school. Um, I'm also in charge of uh, the advisor of Youth to Youth. We work with the Incorruptible S group, uh, and I work very closely uh, with Miss Maureen, Nurse Maureen, as well as Miss Henderson and uh, some of the students that are on today. Uh, so why don't we go around and let everybody introduce themselves and we'll get started. Hi, I'm Donna Maureen. I'm one of the nurses at South Brunswick High School. I work um, with the uh, Public Health Club. I'm one of the advisors. It's a very large uh, club at the high school. I'm also one of the advisors to the Incorruptible Us group, which is a um, prevention group uh, focusing on um, clean living and um, prevention of using any kind of drugs, vaping, um, whatever it may be. And I work very closely with Mrs. Ms. Henderson and Mr. Millman also. Um, Kara Henderson, one of the student assistance counselors at the high school as well. So I do a lot of prevention work with Mr. Millman and Nurse Maureen. So I help out with Incorruptible Us. And I work with students um, on an individual basis and a group basis doing mental health counseling as well as substance abuse counseling. Hi, my name is Nora and I'm one of the seniors from South Brunswick High School. I currently serve on the boards of the Incorruptible S Group, the Public Health Club, and the Youth Cheese Club. Hi everyone, my name is Yashi. I'm a senior at South Brunswick High School, and I'm also on the board for Public Health, Youth Youth, and Incorruptible S. Okay, it's Mr. Millman, the high school SAC. I want to welcome Trish Baker from AIR, Attitudes in Reverse. Trish, could you please tell us your story? My name is Trisha Baker from Attitudes in Reverse or AIR. Mental illness is like AIR. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. It's all around us. Our organization was founded in 2010 after the loss of my son, Kenny Baker, to suicide. When Kenny was young, he was an excellent athlete. He was respected by his peers. He was an honor student. You would think he had everything going for him. But then freshman year in high school, his world started to change. That was when we, he was first diagnosed with anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation. For three years, Kenny fought really hard to get well. He was compliant with doctor visits, with hospitalizations. It was really hard for him. Not only did he have to wake up every single day and battle this ugly, horrible illness, he also then had to go to school and live with stigma people who judged him and criticized him for having a biological brain illness. People did not per se bully him, but there were people who were just not kind because they didn't understand. They called him lazy. They had other names for him as well. After three years of battling, 
Kenny lost all hope that he was ever going to get well, that he was ever going to be normal. All he wanted to be was just like everybody else. And I'm sad to say he did lose his life to suicide. We knew as a family after he died that things needed to change. We needed to start the conversation about good mental health and suicide prevention. To date, we have educated over 95,000 students, not only in New Jersey, but also in eight states outside of New Jersey. We also have implemented a national therapy dog program recognized by the American Kennel Club because dogs are partners with us in all of our programs. We have reached so many young people. We also do a, a questionnaire with them and we have been able to identify anywhere from six to 17% of all students who are at risk either themselves or searching for help for a friend. So that's who we are, and uh, we hope to um, uh, be able to work more with South Brunswick High School. I know we've done some things in the past, and we're grateful uh, for, for this involvement for the suicide prevention work. I first learned about AIR and the Bakers and their story back in the first year of the mental health fair at South Brunswick High School. There was a really compassionate and motivated volunteer, a student who volunteered with the organization. And I asked a lot of questions and I was really amazed uh, and uh, impressed with the bakers, their family, and with the work that they're doing. The second year, we invited Trish and the certified compassion dogs. Trish, why is it so impactful? Years after you joining us, I'll mention that air is going to come to our school. Kids see dogs. They're out in public. Why is it so impactful that the kids still remember and are so impacted by the dogs that you share with the community? That's a really good question. So our research shows that when you look at a dog, the simple action of looking at a dog releases oxytocin in your brain. And that's the relationship hormone. You know, that's why if you look at a little puppy or a kitten, you make that oh noise, right? Because it's just this chemical response that we have no control over. In, in addition, when you interact with a dog, petting a dog, it releases serotonin and dopamine, which are good de-stressing brain chemicals. And then the other thing that happens too is that it lowers your cortisol level. So all of these great things are happening when you interact with a dog. And the really cool thing is that if you have a dog and you interact with your dog, your dog, their brain experiences the same responses as we humans experience. So it's this symbiotic relationship that's developed through domestication. I know I go into schools and I'll hear students say, oh, there's a dog here, why is there a dog here? And all of a sudden they'll say, air is here. And they're actually excited that there's a mental wellness program in the building because the dogs come in with us. So yeah, the dogs are part of everything we do. All of our handlers are youth mental health first aid certified so that if someone hears something, because we've also learned that students will then talk to a dog and tell a dog something they may not tell a human. So if one of our handlers hears something, you know, we want to make sure that we're able then to direct that student to a counselor or direct a counselor to that student. But yeah, I have heard that 
our programs, I guess the, they said the shelf life of programs tends to be weeks, but for us, it's months, even years, because the, the students are associating the information with the contact they have with the dogs uh, after the program. I've been in schools, I've been at high schools. Counselors are often asked from the county and the um, community to go to high schools when there's a tragedy, when a student has lost their life to suicide. Um, we're often invited and it's amazing. It's happened on multiple occasions, I've been there. And Trish Baker and the dogs will come in, um, the volunteers will come in. Um, why is that? Why, what is the magic? What is happening with those kids and those dogs? Yeah, this uh, started about a year or so ago. Um, we have a lot of connections with a lot of different administrators and schools. And uh, there have been, sadly, too many suicides by students in the past year, year and a half. And uh, some of the administrators reached out to us and said, can you bring dogs? And um, just it's kind of an amazing response that, uh, again, I didn't see what happened before we came in, but I was told repeatedly by counselors and by administrators that, you know, the kids would be in the, the library or they would be someplace as a resource area and all the counselors would be there and nobody felt like they wanted to talk and then the dogs would walk in and then i was told the whole atmosphere changed it, it was almost like it brought some life back into the room and the dogs would lay on the floor the students would sit on the floor petting the dogs and then the counselors would sit on the floor as well. And then it's just the whole grieving process would start. Like I said earlier, you know, sometimes we feel safer talking to a dog than we do to a human. And if a human just happens to be there to listen and then to help guide us in the conversation and the healing process, so much the better. But yeah, we, we were at at least a dozen schools and, um, 2019 after the loss, either through a suicide, drug overdose, drowning, uh, even we were in a school after a teacher passed. You know, we just are very grateful that our dogs are able to provide that sort of comfort to, to the students. Rumors are flying around. Uh, New Jersey has reported that as a result of the budget, they're gonna cut services to school-based services. At South Brunswick High School, that's referred to as Bridge. Um, there's high schools and thousands of students are gonna be impacted across the state of New Jersey. Now, as of September 18th, there's rumors again saying that the, um, a senator came out, New Jersey State Senator, said that they were gonna fund it. So we don't know what's gonna happen as, at this point of the recording of this, but Trish, why is that so vital? Why is school-based services so vital to the work that you do as well as counselors uh, and folks who really care about mental health and students? Through Attitudes in Reverse, I've been invited into many different schools across all of New Jersey. And I was, uh, always remember the day I discovered the school-based youth services programs. And I, I thought, what an incredible idea to have counseling services right on school property. I think about the challenges that we faced 
as a family, the challenges that Kenny faced as a young student, you know, all young people want to do is just to, to be like everybody else. But Kenny's life was consumed with seeing doctors, psychiatrists, counselors, um, you know, medication he was on, you know, caused him to be seeing neurologists and eye doctors and dermatologists. And so almost every day he was going to see a doctor. And I, I thought, gee, the school-based services, he could have seen his counselor during the school day. That would have alleviated a lot of the pressure. Maybe he could have interacted with friends after school one afternoon. You know, the other thing I, I thought about was Kenny uh, struggled with severe anxiety. And there were days where school, being in school was just too much. So he would leave the school building and I would get a phone call and then we'd have to search for Kenny. And the response sadly at the school was he would receive detention or suspension or, you know, some other form of, of punishment for leaving the school building. Now I understand, you know, he shouldn't have left the building, you know, but his anxiety was so overwhelming. He felt like he couldn't breathe in the building. So he had, he had this need to escape. And um, if he had access to a school-based services program, he could have escaped there. He could have talked to a counselor. The counselor could have, you know, helped him calm his thoughts, could have, you know, gotten him back into class, you know, and I just, um, I have said this to a few of the school-based counselors who everyone I've met has been the, the kindest, most caring person. And I said, you know, I feel that if Kenny had access to a school-based program, he most likely would still be alive today because there would have been somebody in the building who cared, who listened and wanted him to be okay. Thank you so much for sharing that story with us, Tricia. So it, it sounds like, you know, he had a lot of experience with outside therapy as opposed to in school. There was no in school therapy, nothing. So you would say that it was, it would be very essential to have these counselors in schools for these kids. Yeah, I have seen so much incredible work done through the, my contacts at school-based programs. I have just seen kids flourish. And, and I'm only in schools a short period of time, but you know, I'll, I'll sit in the counseling offices and I see the kids coming in, I see them happy, I see the interactions, I, I see the positivity. And it, it's just, it's an amazing place to be. And again, I haven't been in all of them, but the ones I've been in, it just, it's amazing. And, and I just see how they care about their students. You know, and I'm really sad to say that, as I said, there was no, there was no counseling in the building when my son was sick. You know, even after he died, I reached out to the counselors for help for my daughter who was struggling. And they, they said to me, what seems to be the problem, Mrs. Baker? There was zero counseling support for my daughter who just lost her, her brother tragically, zero. She got to a point she couldn't go to school and no one cared, okay? So the fact that every counselor who I've met who is school-based, I, I, I mean, it, it, it warms my heart to see people who care about children, you know? And I just think we were in a bad 
at a bad time, this is going back 11 years ago, people were frightened to talk to kids about suicide. The old belief was if you talk to kids about suicide, you put the idea in their head. So to be fair to the administration, they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to respond. So their response was we do nothing. And they were protecting the 1500 kids in their school building, but they were not doing anything to help my daughter. They did not do anything to help my son. So um, I do feel that, you know, these programs, I just, um, I'm grateful for every single one that I've been to. I'm grateful for, you know, all the work that they've, I know they've been functioning for about 30, if not more years. And I think about the impact that they've had on students across the state. Uh, you know, I hear stories of young people who are struggling in high school. They go through the school-based programs and, and they thrive and they graduate from college. They go to law school. You know, they accomplish things that their high school self tells them they could never ever accomplish. But there's someone there giving them that, that hope, that positivity, that encouragement, that yes, they too can accomplish these wonderful things. And, and they, they believe it, they start to believe it. And then it's just, it's amazing. And I, I just see having that person right there when you're in that moment of yeah. crisis in the building, you know, I don't have to, I mean, my son walked out of school and one day, you know, he drove to Freehold, which is an hour away. You know, he just needed to escape and, um, or he would walk, he would walk 10 miles away. He would just leave and then we'd have to find him. And to be a parent of a child who constantly had suicidal ideation, did he leave the building? Was he gonna hurt himself? Was he gonna kill himself? You know, the, the amount of fear I had constantly for three years it was just overwhelming because there was no support in the building where he experienced most of his anxiety. So I just, I keep going back to if there was that one or two people who were there in the building who he could talk to, who would listen without judgment, you know, because that's the other thing. He was judged not just by kids, but by teachers. Teachers called him lazy because they didn't understand the illness. They didn't understand that when you live with depression, all right, maybe there are days you can't get out of bed. It's not because you don't want to, it's because you physically can't, you physically are not able to do it. You know, and, and I see the amount of, of uh, education that's happened in the last 11 years, and I'm grateful for it. And um, I'm really proud to say our school district has completely changed since Kenny was struggling and Kenny died. And, um, you know, there's now, counselors on on campus and you know i just think about how how good it is now of course there's a lot more work that still needs to be done but it's so much better now than it was 11 years ago and i often think again if only kenny had access to those sort of resources i really believe in my heart he would be alive today Trish, it's, it's Donna Maureen, one of the nurses from the high school. I really think um, you really hit it spot on about accessibility uh, it, with everything in, in healthcare, mental health, it, when it's accessible to the kids, you know, and also early identification, the better, mm -hmm. the better health outcome. 
they would have. I think we, we do a very good job at South Brunswick High School. I'm wondering, is there anything else, you know, for example, we're, we're it's Suicide Awareness Month, we're gonna have a Suicide Awareness Walk. Um, Mrs. Henderson, Mr. Millman, myself, you know, we're always, I know myself in the, in the nurse's office, I'm always looking for mental health when the student comes in. Uh, the student keeps coming in for, you know, headaches or the stomach aches. And, you know, I, I, we look at the big picture, Trish, so I want you to know that, you know, things have changed. You know, we're looking at the student's grades, we're looking at their latenesses, we're looking at how many absences they've had, and putting that all together of, why they're coming in, what's the underlying reason so we can you know, figure it out and see if it is possibly anxiety or depression and then we make the appropriate referrals to Ms. Henderson or Mr. Millman and the Bridge Center. The Bridge Center has been a big part of the health, the health office at the high school where we've called upon them many, many times you know, to help us. So that accessibility I think is, is really, really important. Is there anything else you think that we here can, can do in our own school and possibly get other schools involved? Because we, with a lot of things we do, we try to, we want to try to get more involvement, more collaboration with other schools. We go into a lot of schools, and as I said, we identify anywhere from six to 17% of students who are at risk. We have had three situations where there were students struggling with suicidal ideation. After our presentation, they came forward, one was uh, they called an ambulance for her and she was rushed, rushed to the emergency room. Two others, the counselors drove them to the, to the ER. So through our educational program, we give our kids permission to come forward and ask for help because there's still stigma, right? Only 33% of our young people who are affected are actually seeking treatment. So what's happening to that other, you know, 67% of, of students? And the other thing too is that Half of the lifetime cases present by age 14, but it can take 10 years, 10 years for that illness to be identified. So if it's affecting students by 24, it doesn't take effect until, you know, where it becomes obvious until their late teens or early 20s. Often they're, they're out of high school at that point. You know, so I just think high school, actually middle school, we've now rolled out programs for elementary students because we realize we have to start talking to them younger and younger. We want to yes. let them know they have a brain, which is an organ, and organs sometimes get sick and their brain can get sick, but there's also steps that they can take to have a healthy brain. So we've gone all the way down to the elementary level, but we find that the kids that reach out the most are the seventh and eighth graders, the middle schoolers, ninth graders too. But I will tell you, when we talk to 11th and 12th graders, they're already shut down. That's where we get the 6% response rate. They're already not asking for help. That's you know, right. it's, it's that seventh, eighth, ninth grade that's crucial to educate them so that they know what the signs and symptoms are and then to let them know they have permission to come forward and ask for help. And I think our program, it really hits home because when I share Kenny's story, you know, I tell them that the day before he died, he said goodbye to every one of his friends, everybody. And it wasn't until after he died that at least at least a dozen young people said to me, you know, Mrs. Baker, I had a bad feeling, but I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want to get Kenny in trouble. Oh. So we have so many young people who are come forward after they hear that, that help identify their friends because they don't want to lose their friends. And then you right. have the young people who are struggling with suicidal ideation and they don't want to die. They don't want to die, but they don't know what else to do. And they are still afraid to come out and to talk and to ask for help. 
it's getting better because I said only 33% are getting treatment. So that's, there's a huge opportunity to reach more students uh, yeah. before they graduate high school, before they go on to college. You know, it's that late teens, early 20s where these illnesses severely manifest. And that's where you have the substance abuse, overdoses, and you have the suicides. Yes. Um, I just want to mention something. So New Jersey is cutting their budgets on mental health-based programs in school districts. So do you think that if students started their started clubs or small groups within their schools that didn't require that much funding and they just went to classes and educated people about these topics, do you think that would make an impact on school districts? Or what do you think students should do? Okay, so I caution students because students are not trained counselors and students shouldn't be taking on the burden of being a counselor. That's my opinion. You should be there for your friends and be compassionate, but you have to have access to counselors to support. Now, working with uh, local schools, now one of my feelings in having uh, an air club, this group is having an air club, is in school is that it's not necessarily a mental health club but it's a club i always say is that when you help other people you help yourself that's really my philosophy in life and that's the whole basis of air you know when i lost kenny you know i could have you know crawled under my blankets and never seen you know daylight again you know or i could have reached out to help other people and that was the choice that i made and i find that when i help others i feel much better uh, from my, my own mental wellness. I mean, I have to tell you, after the, the shutdown, my, my spring, I used to work seven days a week, and my spring, all of a sudden, it just stopped. And all these appointments I had in schools, it just stopped. And I went into a, a, a funk because my purpose was, like, gone. <laughs> so uh, we actually started right after the pandemic uh, lockdown was we started virtual therapy dog visits because we had to do something. I, you know, there were, children were struggling, teachers were struggling, councils were struggling. So you know what? Spend a half hour to an hour with us and our dogs, and we brought about a lot of smiles. So that was that. So uh, what we're doing, um, actually, through West Windsor is uh, it's an air club, and the focus we're doing right now is they're kind of trying to figure it out. But we want to do more with the dogs in the in the school. So what we're doing is uh, they're almost going to be like ambassadors for different types of events. The students can be ambassadors for a dog and a handler. So, you know, you welcome at the, them at the door, you uh, partner with them at whatever the event is. You know, it kind of gives the student a little bit of, because um, everybody loves when the dogs come in. It kind of elevates the student. Well, you're the student who works with dogs. That's really cool. So that's kind of what we're doing now. And then we're kind of exploring the idea of actually doing training, a therapy dog training with the students and their own dogs. I don't know how if that's going to get approved through administration or not. But like what I'm doing at Hopewell Valley, the administrator there was after they lost a student and he saw the impact of the dogs was, he wants to have at least one dog on every school campus every single day. So we actually spent a year and we certified six administrators on their dogs. And now we just started the second cohort. We have eight in this group and we'll have them all certified. And these dogs are going to go to work every day. Well, not every day, every other day in school to be there for the kids. And, and, and for the, the teachers and the administration, you know, it's not just the kids who benefit. I've gone to several different teacher 
events to help the teachers, because this is stressful for everybody what we're living through right now. So the, the idea of the club over at um, West Windsor is it's going to be focused on mental wellness, but the idea of dogs are good for our mental health. We started incorporating the dogs into our programs because um, nobody wants to talk about mental health. And again, I'm going back 11 years, you know, we used to go to town events, we'd set up a table and people would come up to our table and they'd say, oh, you're talking about mental health and suicide. And they like would run away like we had the plague. But then we started introducing the dogs. Uh, Mickey was, is my service dog. He's also our first therapy dog. He was actually top therapy dog in the country in 2011 for the work he does with AIR. And what we found out was the dogs would come over, or we would have the dogs, the people would come over to the table to interact with Mickey, and they'd pet Mickey, they'd ask about Mickey, and then after being there for about maybe 10 or 15 minutes talking about dogs, then they'd say, what is AIR all about? And it was amazing how many people, after interacting with the dog, the dog actually took down the barrier of stigma. People would then listen about air, listen to our stories, and then nine out of 10 had their own story, whether it's about themselves, you know, a parent, a child, a family member, a neighbor, you know, and, and then they would thank us. Thank you for being here. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And it all came down to the dog. So we really focus, like the new program we're rolling out for elementary, kind kindergartners through uh, third grade, all about dogs and their emotions. We want to talk about emotions and what are the physical signs of emotions, right? But we're, we're doing it using dogs. Yeah. Um, so we're not making anyone feel uncomfortable. Well, this is what you look like when you're angry. Well, this is what the dog looks like when they're angry. And as I'm also a certified professional dog trainer, um, what I have learned in studying dog behavior is that behavior is behavior. We're not much different, you know, and if you have a good understanding of behavior in dogs, it, it can relate to humans. You know, the thing I learned that, that kind of opened up my eyes to a lot of things, 95% of aggression is fear-based, fear-based, right? How often do we judge humans who are aggressive, who have outbursts, right? Well, that's bad behavior. Well, where did that bad behavior come from? There's some underlying fear. And once you understand that, it helps us to become more empathetic and more compassionate towards that person. And it helps to de-escalate a, a, a situation. It's the exact same thing how we handle our dogs. So that's what that program's all about. And, um, you know, we're real excited about it. And of course, they'll have dog, we'll have dogs there so that they can pet and they can interact with the dogs after the program's over. But I just think it's important that young people, we give them some tools to help identify what they're feeling, how they're feeling, and how to express those feelings then to adults. You know, I think the crisis that everyone is going to face right now with our young people, because I too, I'm talking to a lot of different school districts and, and colleges, there's a lot of people who are petrified to leave their homes, like petrified. Yeah. And my heart breaks for them. And I think a lot of our young people are struggling with these thoughts, these fears. And a lot of kids I talk to, they don't want to upset mom or dad. They don't want to add to mom and dad's burden. You know, mom and dad, maybe they lost their jobs. You know, they're struggling with their, their own mental wellness, you know, moms and dads. And kids don't want to add to their burden. 
So that's why a lot of kids are not reaching out and talking up. So I think that we have to make sure kids know that it's okay. And that's the thing with school-based is that if they have some place where they feel safe and they can talk to, and they don't feel they're adding a burden to mom and dad, um, you know, they, they really need that place to, to be, to feel safe. And that, that person who's going to be there, who's going to listen again, without judgment, without criticism, and then help them navigate the conversation with mom and dad so that it becomes easier for them. Because you know what, mom and dad, they want to hear the message. Most moms and dads, there's still some in denial, but most moms and dads are open. They, we, we as parents are not trained to know what the signs and symptoms are. So, you know, we're just assuming, well, it's just because of the pandemic. That's why they're, they're feeling this way. We may not realize that the, the extra stress has triggered a severe illness in them. So um, that's why I really feel that having counselors on campus is, is critical for our young people here in New Jersey. I will tell you, we're starting to do some in-person visits. We're kind of rotating normally, uh, like some schools I go with, like Red Bank with Suzanne Keller. Normally I'm there two days, so I'm gonna be there four days. You know, it is what it is. And yeah. uh, so right now I'm working with schools with whatever their situation is, so that this way we, we get the message out. You know, a lot of people say, can you do virtual? And I, you know, I don't wanna do any virtual meetings because I'm just afraid you're gonna have a young person at home and hear a message and then they get triggered and they have nobody to talk to or they don't feel safe reaching out. So I, I just don't feel comfortable doing virtual. So I'm, I'm starting to do some face-to-face. -face. We're doing face-to-face -face therapy dog visits. We have rules, but uh, that's something else that we're doing too. I have a lot of volunteers are very anxious to get back uh, working again. So um, if you think, and I know a lot of schools are not having vol uh, visitors come in. So I, I understand that as well. Yeah. But, you know, we're here, we're doing virtual therapy dog visits, if that's something too that you think uh, your students would benefit from. I found that the students we talked to were either the gifted and talented students or the um, students with severe disabilities. That was kind of the gamut that we were reaching out to. And, uh, you know, wh whatever we do, we can, ad we can adapt to. The gifted and talented have a list of uh, like celebrity supporters who shared their personal stories of inspiration and they were able to, you know, answer questions for the students. Um, so yeah, there's a lot you can do virtually. It's a certain things I won't do virtually just because I feel it might be putting students at risk. And that's really interesting. And it's interesting that you said the two ends of the spectrum with the kids and, you know, you tend to see both groups tend to have some social challenges right. both the highly intellectual kids as well as the kids that struggle developmentally um right. but yeah no thank you so much for for the work you do and coming today and talking we want to get this message out we also want to let the community or the folks listening to this know that on uh september 27th sunday september 27th from 11 a.m i'm sorry yeah 11 a.m to 2 we're gonna have the suicide awareness walk at south brunswick high school and we want to invite everybody out. And if anybody can give, everybody can give a small donation, those proceeds will go to air. Um, and we appreciate um, Trish, you know, the work you've done telling Kenny's story. And we want to help your organization the best that we can. So, so we greatly, you. greatly appreciate that very much. I just Absolutely. want to mention one more thing. I think it's great, Trish, that you're starting to do in-person uh, meetings. And that's why we thought it would be 
uh, instead of doing a virtual suicide walk, we thought it would be much better to do it in person to get right. people used to coming out again. Of course, social distancing, but to get them to feel comfortable that it's okay. We've got to get them out of their houses. Um, we did an event about uh, two weeks ago, and it was an outdoor event. We had about 100 people come, and normally we have maybe about 300, so we, we got a good turnout. And, you know, I said we have to respect the virus, but we have to also return back to life. You know, yes. we wore masks, we social distanced, um, we were safe. And, you know, and, and I can't tell you how many people said thank you for getting us out. Thank yes. you. It's so it's good to see Once each other. Once get out the first time, now it's all, you know, they're going to feel much more comfortable. I agree. Well, I agree. I'm glad to see you're doing an uh, in-person event as well. I think we need to start getting back to, to real life, you know, again, respecting the virus and being safe, but right. we, we have to do, you know, certain things. You know, and I, I tell people, you know, I think about my grandmother and I know it's a little different, but she was 15 years old and with her sister who was 16, they got on a boat and they left Ireland and they never saw their families ever again. You know, there has to be a little bit of courage that we find within ourselves in order to go out and to do things. Yeah. And I know for some people it's not easy, but I just think we have to find that within ourselves and mm -hmm. set the example as best as we can for others, especially adults, set the example for our children so that, you know, they see us going out feeling safe. Yes. Again, with yes. respect for the virus. Yeah, um, absolutely. But yeah, we have to mm -hmm. set that example for our children. Yes. Well, we can't thank you enough, Tricia. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate it. A huge thank you to Tricia Baker for sharing her story with us. If you want to learn more about her program, Attitudes in Reverse, please visit her website at air.ngo. Our next interviewee is SBHS senior Varun Mataraja, who is currently involved in our school's bridge program. Without further ado, let's get started. So up next, we have Varun Mataraja, and he's going to be, he's a senior at the high school, and he's going to be talking a little bit about the Bridge Center, and we welcome him to uh, this podcast also. Great, thank you. Um, all right, so to start off, Varun, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and um, what experiences you've had with Bridge so far? Before I do any of that, I would like to thank you guys for this opportunity. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate your leadership in this. So I'm a senior at South Brunswick High School. I um, am, I've, I like most teen things like binging shows and stuff, but I'm also a pretty detail-oriented, hardworking person. I am a car enthusiast, so, and I like, above all else, I, I just like spending time with friends and family. When I'm not doing those things, I, I like binging shows and occasionally playing video games. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your experience with the Bridge Program um, and why you think it's important that the state does not cut funding to school-based youth programs like uh, the Bridge Program. The Bridge Program is a safe space, so all students are accepted regardless of their race, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity. And I, I felt that I could relate to some that I wasn't alone in certain areas and that there are other, hey, there are other youths that like me that experience things. 
and it felt good to not just deal with people who paint their lives as like picture perfect, but were actually were relatable and often helped me out when I struggled. And I feel like that program has been there for me thick and thin ever since I started going into seventh grade at the middle school level. It wouldn't be a good idea to cut funding to this because many students depend on such spaces. The outside world of the school may not be too kind on them, or they're just not able to relate to most of their peers. I, I get the sense that students really feel connected to the other students that are accessing services in Bridge. What do you feel will happen to your peers should the, the program not exist? I do not foresee anything good coming out of this if, if they cut funding to the program. I could foresee that there may be increased incidences of like bullying and stuff. And since students are stuck between a place of Scylla and Charybdis, they're not really able to get the help they need. So they'll have an adverse effect on their education, life. Like the people who, are, who may have had straight A's, for example, may now be flunking classes because they simply have no access to help. This is not conducive to success and it will ultimately reflect poorly on our school if such incidences happen. So you're tying mental health right to student success academically. So that's what you're kind of saying here, right? Absolutely. Mental health is pr pretty much the sole driver of one's mind. So if your mind is healthy, you are able to do more things. But when you're in a situation where you're not able to access the help you need, your mind is not going to be able to focus on things. And you, you end up losing interest in the things that you probably loved or didn't you, and, or maybe you didn't care about those things, but you may have been motivated to do them, but now you have no motivation. So mental health is one of the most critical aspects to a student's success in school. And I'd argue it's the most important because without the mental health, you're not going to be able to focus on things like your studies, your friendships. So all in all, mental health is the key to success. I agree. And I also wanted to kind of question, for folks who have no clue or uh, may have kind of a false sense of uh, what it's like to go see a counselor or talk to somebody from the bridge program who's who's there to provide supports in any form. How is that, do you think, for your peers that go get help? Like, what does it look like? How would you describe the getting help? Because some people kind of are frightened by, I'm scared to go talk to somebody. What would, how could we ease their kind of concern about going to talk to somebody over there? So the bridge center people are very trustworthy and they're, they're never going to steer you in the wrong direction. And talking to them is no different than having a conversation with a close friend when you're in a dilemma. Like, you, you tell them what is going on, that they're going to make sense of it, and then tell you how you should proceed. I like that. And I think to take it even a little bit further, it's like a friend who's not going to tell you what you want to hear. You know what I mean? It's like a friend who is going to be honest and objective and they're not going to kind of appease us and tell us what we want. They're like really supportive and kind. Absolutely. They're very, very like, like I said, mo the people that are there are very down to earth. They're not like going to tell you things like, oh, they're not just going to tell you things to butter you up or tell you what you want to hear. Yes, not everything in your life is what you want to hear, but I'd rather hear something I don't want to than somebody lie to me in an effect to solve a problem. What kind of things or issues do you think 
students could bring to the bridge program that they're struggling with? Like what, what types of things do you suspect? Like if you were advising a kid who came to you and was like, Hey Varun, I, I'm really thinking of going to talk to somebody, but I don't know well, why should I go there? Like, or what should I, you know, talk to them about? I'd say family issues are a big thing. Cause like, let's face it, all, I'm a teenager and almost all of the people in there are teenagers and it's not an easy time to be a teen, particularly given the global events, but being a teen is never easy. You're, you're expected to do, be, behave like an adult in some fashion, but, but your parents still expect you to act like a child in some sense. So this leads to a situation where parents don't always see what their kids are saying to the fullest extent. And I'm not saying it's bad. Like, of course, most parents are grappling with the fact that, oh, my child is growing up so quickly. And sometimes when you tell your friends, they're just going to tell you something really pointless. Like they may just tell you something like that you want to hear or something completely unrelated, but at bridge they'll, they'll help you. Like they help me understand that even, even though I don't see eye to eye with my parents all the time, it's completely okay to n not agree with everybody hundred percent of the time. Um, I also just wanted to follow up with how does confidentiality play into this? Cause when I talk to a lot of students, I really want to reassure them and has bridge reassured you that, Hey, look, what we're talking about here is going to be confidential. Absolutely. I wouldn't set foot somewhere if I knew what I was saying was going to be used against. But the confidentiality part, it, it, it should ease some of the students' worries. Because like, nobody's going to know that you discussed something with them. And at the end of the day, you're the only, you're the one that's benefiting from it. And it's like, most students are coming in with problems that don't, that don't harm themselves or don't, or don't imply anything about death, harm to somebody else. And I think what you're alluding to is limitations. So confidentiality is limited to if an individual is going to take their lives or hurt themselves or others. Um, and that's the responsibility of a program like Bridge, that if a student is in a, you know, a tough time, the main thing is we need to, you know, get those supports in place, get some medical supports from a psychiatrist or a psychologist and make sure, you know, that, but sh short of that, you know, people's personal um, information is all kept confidential. Um, you mentioned that acceptance was one of the big things that you felt from the bridge program. Um, can mm -hmm. you talk to me about, you know, your experiences through the years and how you've kind of evolved from this program? I didn't really fit in with many people in middle school because I was the type of kid that liked to read or maybe do a draw or browse the internet. And the other kids were like all in, like particularly the boys, like they were into crushes, sports, things like that. And I didn't, I didn't really see myself as somebody being interested in sports and nor was I interested in dating. So some kids would used to give me hard, a hard time about it. Like, oh, you're gay because you're not saying you're crushed. And I'm like, not only is this offensive, but that's like the most unfound statement one can say. And then at Bridge, I realized it didn't matter whether you, you were dating, single. It didn't matter about your national background, race, all of those things. You were just you. I like that. That is that really the definition of acceptance there. You know, I wanted to ask you, because I think this is always a thing we think about high school and it, kids graduate and they're kind of out the door. How do you think your experience with Bridge is going to help you if you're a freshman in college and you're having a hard time with a different issue or topic and 
you don't know what to do and you see the sign for the college counseling center. How do you think your experience with Bridge will help you make that determination to reach out and get help? I feel much more at ease getting help because I understand that just because I'm seeking professional guidance for somebody is not a bad thing at all. It's like if you were to seek help with your math homework, nobody's going to get angry at you and it's going to help you out in the long run. That's like the best way I could put it. Like if I was struggling with math, I'm not going to hesitate. Similarly, I wouldn't hesitate if it had something to do with my mental health. Because like I stated, mental health may deter you from things in life. And hence, it's important to keep your brain healthy. And I appreciate that because it's such a practical view, a, such a realistic view on individuals in our community who some, sometimes do take some criticism from a parent or a narrow-minded friend who doesn't really understand it. And I appreciate your, your honesty um, and your talking about that because I, I think we need to kind of communicate to the South Brunswick community that those kids that are getting help, those are the kids that are going to succeed. The kids that say, hey, you know, I'm not perfect. I struggle, that kind of thing. So we see it. We see the direct um, benefit of kids, you know, reaching out and saying, I can use a little assistance in this area, whether it be math, like the perfect example you gave, or, or if they're just struggling a little bit with a personal issue, you know. Uh, with that being said, so September is um, National Suicide Prevention Month. Um, what would you say to your peers that kind of have a stigma against getting help? And what would you you know, what would you say to them? What would you like to advocate? I would like to advocate getting help for your mental health is no different than accessing a tutor after school. It's completely okay to do so. And, and it's not like anything bad is going to happen. Like some teachers may not be able to help you out with it. That's fine. There are other sources you can go to. So uh, to those people out there, I would like them to know that accessing mental health services is no different than accessing subject help after school. Wow, you couldn't have said it, I couldn't have said it better myself, so thank you so much for that. Um, and just so you know, we are hosting a suicide awareness walk Sunday, September 27th at the high school. So we hope mm -hmm. to see you and some peers there, um, obviously socially distanced with masks. I guess any message that you would like to say to any of the bridge staff um, if things don't work out and we unfortunately can't utilize them anymore? Do you have any kind words you'd like to say? I would like to say that in the time that you were there, thank you for being there with us thick and thin. Like, okay, I've made some mistakes in the past, but, but everybody does. And it's good to have like resources that's not going to that's not going to paint a picture that they're holier than thou or anything. And it's good that they're, they're, they're down to earth people that will acknowledge that yes, everybody makes mistakes in life, but the important part is that we learn from said mistakes. All right. Thank you. So much, Jerome. We really, really appreciate all your honesty, um, how open you've been with your experiences. So a huge thank you for Varun Mataraja for coming on and telling us about his story at the Bridge Center. Up next, we have Carly Buckaloo, who is also a senior and also involved with the Bridge Center. So without further ado, let's begin. Hi, this is Donna Maureen, one of the nurses from South Brunswick High School. We are here with uh, Kara Henderson, Mr. Millman, and a guest today, Carly Buckaloo. And we'd like to welcome Carly Buckaloo to the podcast today. And thank you for joining us. 
Hi, I'm Mr. Millman. Uh, I'm the Student Assistance Counselor at South Brunswick High School. We welcome Carly uh, to talk to us today. Um, looking forward to some of the events coming up this um, fall. Um, welcome, Carly. Thank you, and I'm Ms. Henderson, uh, the other Student Assistance Counselor at the high school. Um, this is my first time on the podcast with Mr. Millman and Nurse Maureen, and we're really looking forward to talking to Carly today about um, the Bridge Center and the impact that it's had on her. Um, so without further ado, Carly, if you don't mind just introducing yourself and how long you've been um, tied with Bridge and what your experience has been like. All right, so um, hi, I'm Carly. I'm a senior at South Brunswick High School this year. And I started going to Bridge uh, about the beginning of this school year. I uh, found it from one of my friends. She was. She said she went during lunch and she would say that I should come sometime almost every day until I did come for once. So I, I went and it was an interesting experience for me. D definitely a lot different. The uh, people you meet there are a lot more unique than the people you'll meet standardly in your classes. And I think that was interesting to like open my horizons to new people and different experiences that I wouldn't have before. It took a while before I started going and hanging out like after school more, but I did. I went to one of their, uh, I think it was like one of the talks that we had. Uh, basically what happened when we went there was we started and we watched a video about someone else talking about it. And then we all sort of sat around and we took turns talking about it. And it was interesting to hear about other people's experience and also talk about my own. Awesome. And so what was, um, what was the topic that you guys discussed that day? I think it was the one about like family issues and getting along with the people in your house more. Awesome. And so what has Bridge um, done for you in terms of, you know, your friendships, in terms of meeting new people, um, your self-identity, anything that you want to talk to us about? Uh, yeah, well, for one, I've met a lot of great people from Bridge. Uh, I think they're people that I wouldn't normally have met if I hadn't went there. Because you're put in the specific social situation to interact with these people and that's not something you normally get in your classes because the people at Bridge are more open to being friends with people as opposed to your class where everyone already has their standard groups. I think it's interesting to drift around and see what other people are doing. This is Mr. Millman. Uh, Carly, um, I just wanted to ask you the importance of kind of a your friendship giving you that encouragement and how that relates to like, it's obviously impacting multiple people, but tell me a little bit maybe about that, having the friend recommend Bridge and, and, and that maybe elaborate a little bit about that. Well, it's not that, you know, if I would have just went randomly, I wouldn't have been unwelcomed there, but it's interesting because you definitely meet a lot of people through the people you already know at Bridge you know some of the people who've been going there have been going there for like two three four years and you just show up one day and you're like oh um hi so i guess that sort of helps like break down the wall already because you already had someone who knew you so you'd have like a mutual friend great um so it sounds like you felt accepted with the friends that you've made there um and would you say that you are going to miss Bridge um, next year? Yeah, I'm definitely going to miss Bridge next year. I think it's, you know, interesting for me and it's important to go and meet the people that you see there and even be able to talk to them about issues you wouldn't be able to talk to your other friends about. So yeah, I think I'm definitely going to miss it in the school environment. What um, alternatives or other options do you see 
as a South Brunswick student to fill that void? How will you take the energy that you used with Bridge and divert it? Oh, I mean, I guess it's going to be a little different for me than most people because I've only been going for a year. But, you know, I guess from now, from the one year I was there, I already have a solid group of friends from Bridge. And, you know, before COVID, we were all like, oh, my gosh, we have to exchange phone numbers in case we're out of school. So we do know each other and we know we can get together outside of, you know, school and stuff. So we, all, we always have that option. So September is um, Suicide Prevention Month. So I mentioned earlier, we're going to be doing a walk for suicide awareness um, on Sunday, September 27th, um, right at the high school. Is that something that you think you and your peers from Bridge would come out to support? Uh, yeah, definitely. It's, it falls under the mental health category. and It's a great place it's to, you know, support the community. So yeah, definitely. That's something that we'd go out for. Great. And I know you mentioned that one of the topics was family issues. Um, would you mind kind of opening up to us about how you were feeling talking to your peers about something so personal? Uh, yeah, um, I think it was fine doing it because it's such a safe and comforting environment. You know, it's something that you can do in Bridge. There's, it's like you can't, you're not being judged by people there and you can just say what you need to say and get it off your chest. Uh, yeah, and everyone was pretty accepting because everyone there was going through similar, you know, similar problems to me. So I think it was pretty good. Just out of curiosity, um, does, um, was this your first experience with any kind of a mental health support program? Had you ever gone to therapy before or was this kind of the initial? Um, I went to a therapist once. I can't say it was very helpful. Actually, I went twice. I went once the first time we just like talked and she's like, she told my mom, yeah, I don't have to go again. And then my mom dragged me back a second time. What was it about the, the style and the approach that Bridge had opposed to that previous experience? Uh, I think the approach is they put you with your peers and, you know, you feel comfortable because you can relate to other people as opposed to just sitting yourself, sitting by yourself in a room with one person. Yes, and do you, it's Nurse Maureen. Do you think the accessibility of Bridge also helped there, that it was right in school, a school-based program? Um, I mean, I think it did, but just specifically because I had friends who went there. I, I don't think a lot of people know about it because it's shoved all the way back in the annex, but I think that it's in school makes it easier if you know about it. So are you part of the Google Classroom for Bridge? Yeah, I was actually the person who kind of made that ironically <laughs> I was the person who set it up one day so of course I'm a part of it yeah that's great so how are you and your peers um taking the fact that you know once we do come back to school it sounds like Bridge might not be here I think that's going to be pretty rough um I'm personally you know if, if we do have lunch I'm not big on the cafeteria I don't like crowds but um I think especially I'm going to miss it after school is you can hang out with your friends there and that's something that you can't normally do at home because you're busy doing homework. And how have you handled, um, you know, COVID and, and being home and away from your peers? How's that been going for you? Uh, I mean, I'm kind of an introvert, so I think I was generally okay. Uh, I do a lot of like online networking anyway, so I think it didn't really change too much for me. I wasn't really big on getting together with people outside of school, mainly because it was always, hey, can I come to your house? You have like three gaming consoles and a pool. So I think it didn't really change much for me. So it sounds like you're hanging in there. <laughs> yeah. What? I, 
I was just going to ask, um, and maybe this was asked already, but I maybe just want to push a little further here. So just from your perspective, you've been going to Bridge for a year. I know some of your friends have been going for two or three years. How impactful do you feel it's going to be on those kids that rely heavily on Bridge to potentially not have those services um, once the, you know, the state cuts those services? Oh, yeah, that, that's going to be really rough for them. Like, because I think they've developed, like, so, it's so normalized for them. And once you cut that out of your life, it's going to be really hard to readapt to that. Yeah, it seems like um, just having that extra support, uh, knowing it's there. Sometimes even students know Bridge is there, but they don't access it or have the availability. Or when, you know, we have ups and downs. We have good days and bad weeks and bad months and good months. And, and just having a place to go for support um, is really a helpful thing. And, and just knowing that that uh, is really going to be reduced down in the community, um, especially like after hours and um, in the summertime. So um, I think it's really, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to really impact the community. And so it's Nurse Maureen. Um, Carly, it seems like you've built a lot of relationships there and have gotten a lot of support from Bridge. So um, I'm very happy that you were able to um, share that time with them. And I have uh, another question for you. So you said that you found out about Bridge about a year ago. Um, so if you could go back, you know, knowing what you know now, as you're, you're a senior now, what would you tell your freshman self about these kinds of services? Oh, um, well, honestly, freshman year was kind of rough for me. So I would have told my freshman self to definitely use them and to, you know, just, you know, uh, talk to people more and be more open about them. Because September is Suicide Awareness Month, do you have any words about suicide and how, how it's affected you or anyone in the community? I don't really have, you know, personal experience about that, but with, like, COVID going on, I think it's more of a problem than people realize. I think I was reading that there were so many suicide deaths in August that it kind of made the uh, COVID death scale look kind of small. So I, I think it, it's definitely an issue that people should tackle and should definitely be more open about today. Why do you think peers, other kids in the school, beyond our school, in your age group, why do you think they're so quiet about that and apprehensive to come forward to get help and have the courage that you had to kind of look for those supports? I think it's definitely the reaction you're going to get out of certain people. You know, not everyone's like, I guess people think you're joking or you're just, you know, trying to do it to get out of something. And, you know, you don't want that negative reaction to, our, to an already negative feeling. Can you contrast that with Bridge? Like, let's say if a student went to Bridge and shared those feelings and supports, do you think they would get that reaction? I'm being silly here. Yeah, definitely not. You wouldn't get that there because everyone there is, you know, there for similar reasons. So they definitely wouldn't make fun of you for that. I'm glad we got to talk to you about that because I think that's going to be important to, you know, let other students know that there, there's a safe place and um, there's people that care in the community um, and that no one's alone especially during this time of COVID. Thank you very much, Carly, for joining us for our Acceptance Matters podcast. Yeah, we really appreciate you being so honest and open with us. Um, and I think we, we can all agree that you're a leader for your, for your school. Um, and good luck with senior year. And we hope to see you back in the building soon. Thanks for having me.
This concludes our episode of Acceptance Matters, but one last note before we wrap up for good. As you may have heard a few times in this podcast, SBHS will be hosting its second annual Suicide Prevention Walk on Sunday the 27th from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., and we would like to invite everyone in our community to participate. Social distancing and mask regulations will apply. Registration links are available on our school's social media, but you must sign up in order to participate. Please come out and show your support. And once again, a huge, huge thank you to Trisha Baker, Varun Mataraja, and Carly Buckaloo for allowing us to interview them and hear their stories. And of course, thank you to Mr. Millman, Ms. Henderson, and Nurse Maureen, as well as the members of the Public Health, Youth to Youth, and Incorruptible S groups, because without them, nothing would be possible. Make sure to follow Acceptance Matters on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for updates and new episode releases. Have a splendid day!